Welcome to Equal Inspired, the inclusive podcast, brought to you by Equal IT. Tojo Duke joins us, who is a responsible AI program manager at Google, with over 16 years of experience spanning across retail, advertising, not-for-profit and tech. She designs responsible AI programs with a focus on the development and implementation of responsible AI frameworks amongst Google's product and research team, with a focus on large language models, natural language processing and generative models. Toju also provides consultation and advice on responsible AI frameworks and processes to organizations worldwide. Toju is the ambassador of Women in AI UK, which is a not-for-profit focused on building diverse and inclusive AI globally. She's also the founder of Vibe, which is a women's community focused on personal and professional development using the underlying principles of emotional intelligence. Thanks for having me, Ellie. My pleasure to be here. From your bio introduction, we can see how passionate you are about working with responsible AI and just all things artificial intelligence. So we'd really love to know who or what inspired this interest. Curiosity. Um, that's one of my values. Um, I'm always very curious. Um, I always want to learn new things. I always like follow my gut and my instinct. At some stage in my career, I was like having HSC. I was tired of working on product. I wanted to move on to the next thing, but I didn't know what the next thing was. So out of curiosity, I attended um, an ML training for salespeople. At the time, I was in sales. And I found it so fascinating to learn about machine learning and how you can feed it data. And it just comes up with its own output on its own. I was like, my goodness, these things can be this intelligent. Like It's not like the standard programming like Java or HTML. It's actually really great programming that produces things that you can't even control um so with that i decided to like do some more research on it and the more i read about it the more excited i got then i came across ai for social good and that's what did it for me because i was like wow ai could potentially cure cancer in the next few years like it does have the potential to solve some of the world's top problems today and i was like this is amazing this is this is the best thing since sliced bread why are people not doing more ai and that's how i actually got more interested in the field. If you think about the journey to where you are now, what was that like step-by-step process for learning AI and immersing yourself more into it? Like I said, I, I did have each of you, so I was following my gut and my instincts. And for me, it was like, what can I do with my current work um, that satisfies my each of um, or one of at least it use, utilizes one of the skill sets that I have. So I decided to go into public speaking at the time. And the next question was, what can I speak about? And I decided to go speak about AI. Even if I had no computer science background, I had no background whatsoever working in the field. I was just passionate about AI for social good. And I just felt that people should know that they can actually use AI to solve the world's tough problems today. And after my first talk, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I felt like a total novice. I was speaking to developers who were asking me questions that I had no idea about. The good thing is when I spoke, I did tell them, look, I don't work in the field. I'm passionate about it. And that's why I'm here. I'm a product person um, by career. So I think the steps for me was just identifying what I could do with the topic and not just get excited about it. For me, it was like, get excited and then what? And I decided to get excited and share the news. Um, and that's how I eventually got into the field, because after doing that, I decided to join. I got invited to join Women in AI 
um, at the time I was in Ireland. So I joined the leadership team there and it just sparked more interest and more enthusiasm and more passion for me because I was surrounded by amazing women working in the field, excited about the topic. And I was learning a lot of things as we did our work together. That's amazing, that journey that you've been on and how you was proactive in doing that. Because I feel that sometimes we can hold ourselves back from speaking about topics or going to events and and making a a talk on something because there's that stigma that you have to be that expert you have to have had 10 years of experience about it and it's just that power of having that passion and a conversation which can lead on to so many great things i agree absolutely how has working within the ai space positively impacted your life and your career i think it's it's made me understand or remember that you can do anything impossible is possible with AI, right? With the groundbreaking research technologies that are being launched almost every day by the amazing researchers and ML engineers that work in the space. It blows my mind. I've always loved innovation. It's just so funny because I never opted to be an engineer, but I think there's a different reason why. Um, but I've always loved innovation. And that's why I've, I've enjoyed working on Google and probably that's why I've been there for as long as I've been is just that aspect of being in, in an innovative space. So I think for me, AI just reminds me that in everything I do in this life, there's nothing that is impossible. There are some things that are impossible, but we'll just put those in those little buckets. But just having the mindset that you can do anything, you can achieve anything you want, just put your mind to it, have a good plan, a good strategy and go for it. Like, you know, the point that you made about just having that confidence to go for it. Go for it. If you fail, that's it. You get back up and you try another route. But do not ever give up and believe in yourself. So that's, I think with AI and technology, it just always reminds me of that every single day when I see a new groundbreaking technology come out, you know, like turning text to image and all the new things that are happening. I love that, Toju, that whole concept of, what's the worst that could happen? (laughs) And everything is a learning experience. What can you take from that mistake or that failure? How can you grow? How can you come back from it? So the fact you use that as a source of inspiration is great. Um, For me, I'm quite curious as well, like going into being around AI engineers, machine learning engineers, the real intricate, deep technical details. How was that for you? And how did you adapt? Because for some people as well, it's that whole concept of maybe feeling like they don't belong or an imposter because they don't maybe understand the technicalities on a deeper level. So how did you work to overcome that and feel more comfortable? I think there are two aspects to it. Um, I've always loved technology, but I just never had the background in it. I didn't like it that much to go study computer science or go back to restudy computer science because I'd finished like my degrees which were in sociology and marketing and all of that um, and I didn't want to go back into it but I've always loved the space so even when I started working at Google you know some of the products I worked on I felt were not challenging enough for me so after like two months I went to my manager and said look I need to change this and I think he was looking at me like who is this crazy woman have I made a mistake who is this woman that I've hired within two months who's you know she's already boring so I've always loved technology because I found it challenging um, so for me, getting into that space wasn't a problem on my side because I can easily understand what's being talked about. And if I, if I don't understand it, Google is my friend. I just quickly do a, a quick search in, on Google. Um, so I think, you know, probably the first two months um, 
working in the AI space literally every day. I was either going on glossary or on internal glossary to just check out the meaning of the different terminologies I was seeing in emails or going on Google to read it up. But once you read it up, it's very, very um, understandable. But I think the other edge that I, I came with is just understanding my, my value, my skill sets, my superpowers, understanding that the skill sets I can bring on the table is actually valuable. Coming in as a program manager is a very important um, role that is needed in the area. We have enough ML engineers, enough research scientists, so many of them doing the work. But the question is, how do we convert the work to tangible work that other people can adopt? And that's where the frameworks and processes come into play. So just being aware that, you know, I could use transferable skills to get into that role. I was previously a product lead, but I could still use the same transferable skills and experience that I had to become a program manager, um, that gave me the confidence. And all I just did was just reach out to the team and say, look, can I do some work with you? And again, the rest was history. What transferable skills specifically do you feel really valued and helped along the way? Communication skills, totally important. Project management skills, totally important. Execution skills, valuable. Um, stakeholder management, it's, it's quite key. So, you know, just starting with those four and then being, being able to like plan, planning skills, totally important organizational skills is also very important that's really interesting because when i have conversations also with other women let's say coming from this like non-technical background they always struggle to understand how they can leverage their transferable skills and they think that what they've learned in their other industries or experiences that it's not valuable but it totally is and you're walking proof of that so i really appreciate you sharing just to dig into like the technicalities of things what does AI actually mean to you? It's just having superhuman intelligence powers in a machine. Um, so AIs are like intelligent machines. They're meant to be like to mimic humans. Um, and that's what they're taught to do. Um, so AI, I used to say, is like the tech oxygen. Um, it's, you know, new emerging technology that with time we believe will take over all bubbles form of technology at least up to 90 percent um, but it's there it's everywhere it's in your face a lot of people don't recognize it like scrolling through your facebook news feed or instagram news feed and seeing all the pop-ups that come up you know um just stories from your friends and stuff that's ai based on the interest of that you've had and the interaction you've had on those apps or just being on netflix and having those recommendations and the different movies to watch and different stuff to watch that's all AI, or even just unlocking your phone with your face um, or speaking to your voice assistant, either Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant, whatever that you use, um, it's AI. So AI is, is powering a lot of technology on devices today and all, all different new emerging platforms that exist. So it's actually everywhere that you look unintentionally realizing. And yeah, some of the things that you mentioned there, like the facial recognition, that's a big thing because I read an article about how AI negatively impacted facial recognition. So I'm also interested to know, how does AI negatively impact society? That's the responsible AI part. That's the part that I'm passionate about is, you know, I got excited about AI for social good, got excited about AI. Then I came across the bad sides of AI, which is the negative impact it has on society. And then I got really mad. I was like, uh-oh, you know, what sort of world are we going to leave our children to? Um, if we do not have any right frameworks, regulations, um, awareness in place, then it's going to be a very bad world that we're going to leave behind with this new technology that is spreading like wildfire. The adoption rate is growing really quickly year over year. 
a lot of investments is being made into it, but no one is thinking about the people that they're creating it for. Um, so, you know, um, when you talk about the negative impacts of society, it's because the, the AI systems are built on data. This data is gotten from what we put on the internet. It reflects humans and it reflects humans' opinions and points of views. Um, and the problem with that is this data is fed into this AI system and our model, machine learning model, and it's going to come up with outputs based on what is fed, right? Inputs and outputs. And there's this common saying in computer science called garbage in, garbage out. Um, so if it's fed lots of garbage, it's going to spit out what it's been fed. Um, and that's, that's what's happening. So it's spread a lot of form of bias and discrimination. Um, based on this output, based on the data. It's just reflecting human society. Like we know society still has a lot of bias and discrimination today. And the machines are just basically reflecting humans and society. Um, and I can give so many gory examples. Um, people get getting arrested for crimes they did not commit. Facial recognition is a major problem. Lots of cases like this in the US. Or um, people, um, governments, you know, we have the Dutch government who came up with a welfare fraud protection system that was using AI. But unfortunately, it was just spitting out discrimination, targeting people from the lower social economic statuses and, and residences. And there was lots of issues around infringing on the human rights and privacies. Um, and human rights lawyers and activists in the country took, took the Dutch government to court and won the case. Um, this happened last year or two years ago it's called the siri siri case um so that's another example um we have examples of cvs um amazon had a hiring algorithm that was just dropping all female cvs anytime it saw a keyword for the from a female um college and it was just picking up the cvs from from the men's colleges and that that existed for a few years um before some research scientists did some tests found out the results and said this is terrible and then made some noise about it and they dropped it. And I could go on with so many other examples. There's some I've heard about, there's some we've not heard about. Um, but yeah, it does affect, you know, there's lots of bias, there's lots of discrimination, there's lots of infringement on human rights, there's lots of infringement on people's privacy. And that's where the responsible AI frameworks need to come into play. Because for me, AI is great. It's a great world-leading technology that we need today. But with every great thing, it always has its negative sides. And being aware of the negative sides and being aware of how to tackle those negative aspects of these technologies and fix them or reduce the problem. So like with bias, algorithmic bias is what we call it in, in AI, or statistical bias. And you can't fix it. Um, it can't be 100% bias-free. It's not possible. But we can reduce the error rates to a good significant number where we know that, okay, if this system is deployed or if this product is launched out to users, the impact, the negative impact is going to have on the users, the consumers and society at large will be less. It won't be as high as it would have been if we did not do anything to it. You are doing a lot around responsible AI and working with the frameworks, the programs. How else do you think we can ensure or work towards bias-free AI to really reduce um, systemic injustices and further equality? I think it's just just increasing awareness and interest. You know, the, the problem is most of the ML researchers and engineers, 
I would say that, you know, most of them are great people. They're, they're good human beings who want to do good, who want to think responsibly and be adults and, and, and act in a you know, good, responsible, ethical manner. But then sometimes I feel they get carried away. And I'm saying they because I'm not the one, I'm not in that field building the AI systems, right? I'm a program manager. So I'm on the outside, even if I'm in the same um, industry. Um, and they get carried away. There's a breakthrough, you know, we have a text-to-image model where you can just input text into the system and it actually creates an, a picture and you can say anything. You know, um, planet Mars with an alien working on Earth with Mars on its head, and it will develop it. It will bring out, bring out a picture within a few seconds. That's amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. But then the problem with that is, okay, have you thought about the harms some of this output could have? Is it going to infringe on copyrights? Is it going to show humans or depict religion in a wrong way that may offend some people? Or, you know, depict sexual, sexual orientation or different classes of, you know, subgroups of society, of people's characteristics? Is it going to reflect it in a way that could offend people? How representative are these images? How much have you tested? How much have you checked before you launched the system? Um, so these are the sort of questions that come up with all these different models. and many times they don't think about it and i wouldn't if i was in their shoes i probably wouldn't because i'm just excited about the breakthrough that i've had and i'm not thinking about the negative side of things but that's why it's important is to always think that whatever ai system you're working on or product that you're working on it does have the potential to have some negative sides that will impact society and it's up to anyone working in that field to investigate what harms it could potentially have Chatbots have their harms. You know, facial recognition has its harms. Um, national uh, natural language processing, which chatbots use, has its harms. Robotics has ha- has its harms. Like literally, every component of AI has its harms, and it's being aware of the objectives of that ML model or AI system that you're working on. Being aware of what you're building it to do to achieve, and then think about what potentially potential harms that have been recognized or discovered on those different objectives and tasks and then working towards fixing them. And working towards fixing them could be a range of, you know, creating transparency artifacts or doing some form of adversarial testing. So transparency artifacts just basically means being able to explain why the AI acted the way it did, like documenting like your data cards, your model, your models, um, how the models are working, documenting information on your data sets. That's what I mean by data card. There's lots of work out there that's been done, but it's just being aware that there, there is a potential for your AI model or your AI system or the product that you're working on to spit out some form of discrimination, bias, infringe on people's privacy or human rights, and on and on it goes. And thinking about what potential mitigations or steps you can take to reduce those issues. So it's that whole idea of never just assuming that everything is okay, that everything is bias-free, questioning everything, re-going over. And that, of course, relates really well to why having diverse teams is so important and powerful and inclusive teams. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think another thing with diversity is not just the race and ethnicity and the religious backgrounds. It's also like their experience and backgrounds on their career. So that's what I've noticed as well. It's not just about you know, what we see, the facial things or, or the physical characteristics and beyond that, it's also like coming with a business sense to a purely technical team, being able to 
to navigate the objectives and goals of that team to do something that is not just impactful, but probably bring some business sense. So the diversity shouldn't just stick with what we see and the physical characteristics. There should be diversity all across the board. I completely agree. There's so many layers that we have to peel back when it comes to diversity. And also a big one is like just personality, right? That diversity in personality and in ideas and sharing and exchanging that also helps products to thrive and to be better. I really channel what you're saying. I think it's so important. We've spoken a little bit about how AI can be negative. I'd love to also hear about some of the great things that AI have done to really positively impact the world. Hopefully a lot of people know DeepMind, but it's one of the leading AI um, companies in the world, really. Um, and they launched, they recently released AlphaFold, which was like a breakthrough research AI model. And what it is, it's meant to like detect protein and it's it solves some of the issues on, on protein binding and stuff like that that has existed over the years. And that should lead to further breakthroughs in drug discovery and in the healthcare domain. So that's one way. Now, that's an example, right? So there's a lot of positivity when it comes to health um, on AI. It still has, of course, it still has negative issues, but there's a lot of breakthroughs on health. Um, same deep mind a few years ago um, made an announcement that they had built an AI model that was able to beat eight radiologists and detect cancer cells within a few seconds. So that was amazing. Google has a model that is helping people that have speech impairment issues. Um, the AI model hears the thoughts in a certain way, observes you know their thoughts to a certain extent, and helps them communicate better, and they're easily able to communicate. Um, we have Microsoft who's using AI to help tackle climate change, and there's lots of work being done out there. Lots of work just using it to like detect like natural disasters that might be coming up, or conservation issues, or wildfire. So we have a lot of not-for-profit organizations, small startup businesses that are using AI to tackle some of the world's problems today. So, so it is great. There's a lot of work being done in the field. But then, of course, the problem is the negative parts always like sometimes overshadow the positive parts. And, you know, even on the media, the media will always highlight the negative parts as opposed to the great work that's been done. But there is there is a lot of potential. And the times I've had talks and by the time I talk about all the negative parts, the people are like, so why do we need AI? They should just take it off. I'm like, no, we still need it. It's still great. We're not going to take it out. It's like, you know, when the cars came up about and people were still riding on horses, they're like, cars are terrible. They're going to kill all of us. You know, we don't want cars. And look now, no one, no one, I mean, most people don't, cannot live without having a car. And it's, a, it's an absolute necessity. So it's the same thing with AI. So we can get really excited about AI doing something incredible for the world, but take a step back, take a breath. Okay, let's just analyze and see how this could impact people, mindsets, thoughts. Yeah. Okay, that's really good to know. What would be your advice for anyone who wants to pursue the world of AI? The first thing I'll say is just believe in yourself. Don't feel like, you know, the skill sets, experience, the path that you've taken so far is useless in the field. Have confidence on whatever skill sets you have. So the point that you made previously about a lot of people always like thinking that their past relevant experience is irrelevant when they want to change careers. It's something that I always say, there's lots of transferable skills that you can always take like there's nothing you've done in your life that sh that was a waste of time there's always lessons to be learned there's always things to take over you to the next part of your journey so it's the same thing with AI so the very first thing is don't feel like it's not for me I felt that way I felt you know I really thought so many times about contacting the team at Google and I was like no way they're never gonna take me I don't have a computer science degree I'm not qualified 
And then the moment I got into responsible AI, which is what I'm passionate about, I realized, oh, I don't need to have a computer science degree to work in the field, especially for the for the role that I'm playing. Of course, if I decided to go in as an NL engineer or a research scientist, I would have needed to have that computer science degree or at least some form of AI related degree. So we do have people working in the field who are pure sociologists um, and they're still doing research in sociology and seeing how sociology um, interacts with AI. So regardless of what discipline you're from, it's useful in the field. And we actually need more multidisciplinary people, you know, from different backgrounds to make it more conducive, to solve the problems that we're facing. Because part of the problems we're facing is because there was no form of diversity in the, in the thinking, in the lineup and in the teams building it. And that's why it's all many times they're just suited for one group of people in the world. But we want to make sure that it's suited for everyone in the world, right? Every culture, every ethnicity, every subgroup, every sexual orientation, whatever this product is, it should be beneficial to everyone. And the more people we have in the field that come from different backgrounds and different, you know, vocations and industries, it will make it more suitable and adaptable and more useful to people. So that's the very first thing. Next thing I'll say is just find a niche. Find find what you're passionate about. And don't just run into AI because you feel, oh, you know, it's a new emerging technology. It's the best thing since, since sliced bread. It's great. I want to get in. Make sure it's the right thing for you. Are you passionate about it? Is there something that drives you about it? Is there something that makes you either angry or excited or happy or moves you to tears? Then it's the right thing, you know. And if it's not AI, it could be something else. But if you decide it's AI, there's so many parts of AI, so many categories. You know, I mentioned NLP, which is the natural language processing. It's a great area to work in because it talks about language and language is a fundamental part of society. And there's so much work that needs to be done there. You know, we've got facial recognition, we've got robotics, we've got um, so many other domains in the fields that, that people can work on. So it's finding that area that, that drives you, that you think is actually more interesting for you. And then just, just go. Be curious. Learn as you go. Have a plan. If it's a field that you think you want to go into, look for the kind of role you want to get. Do some research. You know How much are they paying those people in those roles? Don't just go for a role that you're going to be paid in peanuts or even less than what you're paying now, what you're earning now. Look for the right role. Do you research on, on the path? So one of the things I did was I did a lot of research. I looked for the role that I wanted in AI, but I did a lot of research on the people that were working in that role. I, I just stopped a few people's LinkedIn profiles. I just went on the LinkedIn profiles and I just read their history to see what path took them to where they were in that AI field. And that, that gave me an idea of what path I could take. And at the end of the day, it was a lot of self-learning, really, just reading up and speaking about what I read you know, and then working with a, a good not-for-profit organization, which helps with the exposure, with the understanding, with the learning that I needed. Um, so it's very good to be strategic on your career path. Um, don't just allow things to just come and whatever comes your way, you take it. I did that at the start of my career and I think I needed to do it then. Now I'm absolutely intentional about where I want to go, what I want to do. You know, I'm not leaving it up to my employer or my manager or the people around me to tell me, what to do so it's the same approach to take you know you want to get into ai be very intentional about where you want to go how you're going to get into it and what are you going to do when you're in it but make sure it's the right thing for you because you don't want to get into the field and just get frustrated um, after all the work that you've done absolutely love that advice it's so valuable and you mentioned something there as well about just having that belief and being proactive um, taking action for yourself and you did that of course when you applied to google when 
like you say, you had, you didn't have this computer science background. You had that belief in you. And I know you recently celebrated now nine years at Google. So congratulations, Toji, first of all. Thank you. What do you enjoy the most about working at Google? It's an amazing company to work for. Like nine years went flew by like that. And I was like, you know, when it was nine years, I was like, oh my God, it's nine years today. Oh my God, I'm still at this company. It's, I mean, I love the innovative part of it. And I mentioned that before. It's, it's a company that believes in the impossible. They just, they just keep on pushing and just keep on trying everything. Some, a lot of products have failed in Google. Lots of products, but a lot of products have done really well. And it's just been in that space where, you know, you're just surrounded by great, amazing people who are super intelligent and who know that they can try anything. And of course, Google has the funds to fund, you know, to support all of these crazy experiments. Uh, and I'm not saying that Google just wastes money. So, <laughs> you know, but at least you have to, you know, being in the scientific, scientific field, you have to be able to try stuff and see how it works. So that's the first thing for me. But I think what's quite close to my heart is it's just a great company to work for in the sense that they care about you as a person. Um, I mean, I've heard people and I've seen friends who have left the company and they didn't have that experience. But the experience I've had, and that's what's kept me there for nine years ongoing, is just the fact that I know my employer cares for me as a person, cares not just for me, but for my family in the form of benefits, in the form of lots of activities that they do. It's not just for me. It's for me and my kids and my family. Um, so you're all catered for. And then they also allow you to have a voice. They want you to speak up. They want you to challenge what's happening. Sometimes in, in the past, you're having a performance review. And I've heard of people who didn't get a great rating because they were not speaking up in meetings. They were not challenging stuff. I know there's always a flip side to that, you know, thinking about someone's personality type. And maybe that's not, that's not, it's not normal for them. And especially women, women are not really used to speaking up. Um, and then sometimes in a room that is dominated by men and all the men just speak over it. But Google became aware of these things. And at some point there was this unspoken law of make sure everyone in that meeting speaks up. You as a manager, you have to make sure that if there's someone who's quiet, make sure the person speaks up. And if there's someone who's dominating the conversation, then shut that person down for a few minutes for someone else to speak up and everyone has an opinion to give. So, you know, the sort of thing of you just see the company grow, you see the company evolve, you see the company take on feedback and always want to improve itself. It just always like drives me. It, it makes me feel really encouraged. And yeah, that's why I've been here nine years. I've never lived, <laughs> worked for a company this long before. Within those nine years, what, what's been like a real proud moment? Just getting into the field of AI, for me, that was the most intentional step that I made, the move that I made, and it's something I really wanted. So just being able to just talk to, to the right person, right? So I reached out to someone before, the person that responded, but I reached out to the right person, and the right person said, hey, we need more people like you. Yes, definitely, we want to work with you. Let's try and tackle this and tackle that. And it became a journey eventually got in for me that was my proudest moment and again it's that whole aspect of just being intentional being proactive and within nine years I can imagine that there is a long list and it's always evolving what have been some of your biggest lessons learned be your best self-critic that's what I'll say do not wait for constructive criticism to come from somebody else like before you hear that feedback or criticism it's something that you should have told yourself before you should have been able to recognize where you're failing or where you could improve um, and also recognize like your superpowers your successes your skill sets that you're amazing at so being able to tap yourself at the back recognize where you're great at but always recognize the parts that you can improve on and walk towards it without waiting for that feedback I think for me because there are lots of times I used to have some feedback and as I'm hearing it I'm like I knew it 
I just didn't pay attention. I didn't listen to my inner voice that was telling me. And I get angry because I'm like, someone else is telling me this and I could have avoided that. I mean, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So that's another reason why, you know, I was like, I don't want to hear this. But um, I think, you know, we should always work towards self-improvement, self-development. It's really important. No one has ever arrived. No one has, no one will ever have all the wisdom in the world. Even if you're, you're 150 years old, there's always something new to learn. And just being open to that, being aware that we all have limitations as human beings. You know, we do not know everything. Being open to learn something new, being open to grasp new concepts. Um, is is actually quite important yeah that's really important um, some of the things that you touched on there and particularly as well around the importance of finding your confidence finding your voice for some people it's not as easy to maybe take that step back self-reflect on the things that they are greater because they can be really hard on themselves what things worked for you in being able to do that self-reflection I'll say I'm someone that does a lot of thinking a lot of reflection anyway. I've always had it. It's um, I, I grew up as an only child, so I always say maybe I just had the time. I didn't have a lot of people talking at me, so I had time to think. But, I mean, I don't think that's a good excuse. Well, the best ex- excuse for this. But I think the self-reflection is really important. But it's just making time out for yourself. It's super important. Um, COVID was, was a terrible thing that, that hit the world, but it also had its, has its benefits or its pros, right? And one of the pros is it made the world to stop. Um, especially for the first six months, everyone was forced to stop, to spend time at home, spend time with their families if they had families, spend time with their dogs and their cats. And a lot of people spent time thinking. And before then, people were not thinking. It was just like a mad rat race, a big rush. Everyone is just walking. You know, you wake up on a Monday morning and we always have talk about the Monday blues and how we're happy about the weekend. And there are things like this that I used to reflect upon. You know, why are we always excited to stop work? And then once it's the start of the week, we hate going into work. And there's always this thing of make sure you're working on working at a company or on something that you love so that on a Monday, you're happy to go in because if you're not happy, your energy levels go down and you start fighting depression in some form way way or the other. So for me, that's the thing is always making time to stop, think and reflect. And I do a lot of pulse checks and how am I feeling? You know, am I happy? Sometimes like I notice I'm yelling at my kids. I'm like, okay, hold on there. I know kids are kids. They'll make you yell, but the problem is with you. And I try to understand why am I yelling? Am I upset about something else? Um, so those sort of self-reflections help. And it's just being able to stop in the middle of the wild rush. And that's where you hear a lot of talk about self-care, self-love. It's important, right? Because then that's where you're able to get your your energy or your powers from within. And then it comes out on the outside and you can reflect and think about the next step that you want to take. That really, really resonates. That whole idea of self-reflection, so important when we can get so caught up in the next goal, the next journey, the next thing that we want to do. So yeah, I love that, what you mentioned. And I'm just more so again, me being curious, but I would love to know just for you personally, what advice would you give to anyone who maybe wanted to work at Google? Of course, it's an incredible company. I think I'll stick to the first thing I said about being a, your best self-critic. Um, because if you're a best self-critic, you'll be, one of, you'll be one of the best people in the things that you work in. And you should be able to speak about it. Um, so some people are great, but it doesn't reflect in the CV. It doesn't reflect in the interviews. And then they get really frustrated when they're not called for the job because they're like, couldn't they see? Couldn't they read in between the lines? But no, but no one no one can. The HR people or the recruiters or even the hiring managers that are doing the interviews do not know you as a person. 
So it's only what you've given to them, either in the form of an interview or the CV that they're presented with. So communication skills are important, but before then, you just have to be good. Like Google's interviews are tough. Um, and I mean, I, I started off as a contractor um, before I converted to a full-time employee. And the contractor in- interviews are a bit easier. They're shorter because they're not, they're not going to be full-time, but then you still have to go through the full-time employee interview. But because I'd worked there for a year before I converted, I, I was able to observe the space and observe, you know, what they need and require the requirements to get in. So I think it was easier for me. And I had someone who did, did mock interviews with me and all of that. And that really helped. Um, but getting into Google is hard. I have I do have a lot of people who reach out to me who don't go through the interviews. And many of them don't, don't get through. So, you know, apart from knowing being great at what you do, being able to reflect that on your CV, it's good to prepare for the interviews. The interviews are tough, but there's lots of resources out there on YouTube, on Google, that tells you how to prepare for the interviews, depending on what role you're applying for. And if it's a company that you really, really want to work for, fail the first interview, apply again, right? But learn, learn from that mistake, learn from what it is. Sometimes it's really difficult because the recruiters will not give you the feedback that you want to hear. No one is going to tell you you failed in this aspect because it's an X, Y, Z. No. But then that's, again, that's where your own self-criticism and self-evaluation needs to come into play to, to try to understand what could I have missed. Um, but another thing I always tell people is Google is not the only company to work for. And if you really want to get in, you can get in through other parts. Build your experience. And smaller companies are easier to get into and then eventually still apply for Google. And know that it's a journey. Like you say, it, it's a journey. Have that maybe as the end goal, but what things can you do to enrich yourself in other ways to then get you there? Um, interview preparation, of course, super, super important. Putting Google to one side, just generally for you, what do you feel was the game changer when it comes to interview preparation? Just knowing how to translate your work in the best language. So communication skills. And being able to quantify the work that has been done. So another thing, especially in people's CVs, and that has to be reflected in the interviews, is in people just literally just list out everything that they've worked on in a company, their daily activities. But what does that mean at the end of the day? Did you translate it to any form of business revenue if you're working in sales? You know, or if you're a product manager or you're working on the product side, did it translate to any product launches? So it's good to, if it did, how many of these, right? Or how much business revenue do you think you influenced at the end of the year? It's good to be able to quantify them. And if you're able to do that in your CV, I feel the CV preparation helps with the interview preparation because your CV at the end of the day is what they're going to ask you about anyway during the interviews and other, other things. But being able to like articulate in a good story the work and your experience that you've done over the years, put them into different categories and being able to speak about them in a way that makes sense to the listener and makes sense to you who's speaking about it and still quantify it. So we always talk about the start approach, you know, think about the situation, make sure you list that out, what task that you had to do, what the actions that you had to take and what the results were. That's always the best approach in your CV building and in your interview preparation. Some great tips there, Toji. Thank you. You're also deeply involved in driving positive impact in the community, which is fantastic. I know you've been driving a lot of different initiatives over the years. Why is this important to you? Well, it's a personal thing for me. You know, I believe that as humans, we didn't just come to like just warm a season and die someday. I believe we're here on earth to do something. 
everyone has a mission and it's not easy to understand what that mission is but even if I'm living and working around and I don't know what it is I'm really meant to do one thing I know is that I'm meant to be good to people around me I'm meant to have an impact I'm meant to improve the, the earth that we live in some way or the other and I think that's what drives me is you know waking up every day and knowing that it's, life is not just about me and my family but it's about the people around me um, and how could I make their lives better even if it's just from the work that I do you know in the company that I work for like for example Google right we, we talk about doing um creating products that improve lives and some people argue about that but it's true right we try to make products even if there's a business reason behind it which of course makes sense you can't just be doing everything for free how are you going to survive there's a business reason for it but then even if it's just for the fact that i say hey i work at google and i'm helping to improve lives that's enough um but i know that there's more to me there's more to me as a person there's more to you as a person than what we see and it's just tapping into that inner power again and um, you always feel better when you do something good to someone, when you give money to someone or you do something. It makes humans feel good because naturally that's what we're meant to do. We're not just meant to be here for me, myself and I. I'm going to eat, live and die at 90 or, you know, 80 and that's it. No, there's more to life than what we see. And yeah, that's one of the things that drives me is just um, making impact whatever opportunity comes my way and then reflecting on if. That was a good impact. If was I meant to do that? And if not, how do I feel? So I can give another example. Like I recently started, last year I started a, a women's group called Vibe. And it was really just things like this, right? To drive um, personal development, career development. And then this year has been so full on. So full on. I've not been able to do a lot of posts. I've not been able to like communicate to my community. And I've left it. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to say, hey, I'm here to make impact and do that at my own detriment i've not had the time and i'll explain to them and say hey i've not had the time but it's still me making an impact but thinking about me as a person while i'm doing it i know you're doing a lot with uh, leading the women in ai initiative as well uh, i'd love if you could share a bit more about your focus there the mission women in ai it's really driving diversity in ai um, not just for women but for minority groups and people underrepresented um, um groups as well um, and our mission is to increase the diversity in AI um, globally and across different countries. We just have about 20% of women working in AI. Um, Alan Turing um, released a report last year and it was 19% in the UK. Um, and there's a big question why. I have so many theories why. Um, so one of the things we're doing, my team is doing, is leader research on the why. Why are we having very low attrition rates in AI? Why are there less women working in STEM? Um, so the team is raising a lot of research questions and we're going to um, do an event in December with one of the universities to just talk about the results of the data that we have. And that should lead and drive further conversation on that path and hopefully further research and hopefully influence the policymakers and the universities on attracting more talent, diverse talent into the field. So that's one part. Then we, we do a lot of events just to support the community of women working in AI or women who are looking to work in the field and we'll have like conversations about things that are happening. So the, the last event we had was on responsible AI and just a lot of lot of talk about hearing about um what other organizations are doing on the responsible AI side of things and what people think about the 
upcoming uh, models that are happening and how responsible they can be. And then we tend to have like networking within those events and people just come together and just have a good chat. And it's always very encouraging to hear women go, oh my God, you know, I never even knew an organization like this existed. And it's just nice to just be in a space where we can just talk freely and see other women working in the space doing great things. So that's really encouraging. Um, we also have educational activities that we have coming out, partnering some of the top tech companies um, to deliver like ICT um, skills program um, or just, you know, educating women who are looking to get into the field or supporting young students as well. Um, I'm thinking of like starting like placements and internship programs. Um, and um, we have a content lead, so doing a lot of content around what's happening in the space. Um interviews with other women working in the space and you know just show sharing some a bit more insights on ai from people within the space and there's so many other things that i've not mentioned as well that is going on but you can see that it's a it's a it's a, it's a small group with lots of responsibility passion and dedication and i have an amazing team love that how can the community get involved how can they support what you're doing i'll say first of all just start um, by joining us on LinkedIn. Um, that's our main social media page. And they've got a website, womeninai.co. Um, you can join the community there and then you can reach out to us on LinkedIn if you want to actually get more um, support, you, you know, if you want to be a bit more involved. We have a team of volunteers and we're definitely willing and open to have more because we have a lot of things planned. From your time being involved in Women in AI UK, but also just your initiatives generally and being a woman in the industry, what have been some of the challenges that you've seen marginalized groups, women face within AI, within tech? I think one is confidence, again. I don't want to say it's a woman problem because I don't want to stereotype things, but um, it's easy as a woman to have your confidence hit and it's hard to get it back up. And I've had experiences with that as well at work. And once the confidence is hit, it's really a woman's struggles. And I've talked to people who are just they're not sure what the problem is, but they're struggling within the field. And part of the problem is because there's really small representation, underrepresentation of, of you know, this gender in the field. It's hard for them to get the support. It's hard for them to even find other women to talk to or even identify that they're struggling in a way that um, that is bad enough to share with someone else. A lot of people have internal struggles and they keep it internal. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And I think just the lack of support, right? We've talked a lot about having mentors in the field and having senior women, but I don't know how much of that is really being done. Um, a lot of people need mentors. I, I've managed to navigate my career without having mentors per se. I've had people I've talked to on occasion, um, maybe one person I've talked to twice and by the time I've had the second conversation, I already know what I'm supposed to do. And the person probably doesn't even want to talk to me again because they know that they've given me the advice that I need. Well, I'm different. Some people really depend on mentors and they do need that. And we need to have that support. So I think, you know, for the fact that there's a male-dominated industry, and it's, it's, it, it grieves my heart to keep on saying this because it's been this way for many years. And hopefully with organizations like Women in Air and there's so many other organizations that are working on the field to like just drive some more diversity, hopefully we'll see an increase in the number. But for the fact that, you know, a lot of people feel like they're minorities and they're underrepresented in a certain space, it's hard for them to thrive. It would be hard for a woman to thrive. And I gave an example of being in a meeting with being a woman and being in a meeting with a lot of men and not being able to speak. I've seen it happen. 
beyond meetings at events. It could be a women in AI event. We have a few men and we, we always welcome all genders. So we love our men. So please don't take me wrong. But we've seen, I've seen cases and it's not like people are being insensitive. They just don't think about it because you're not, you're not in the shoes. You're not a woman. So why would you think about the problems of a woman unless you decide to be an ally and lend a, a, a listening ear to the problems that women face and decide, oh, hey, I actually want to help this group of people to improve in their career, improve in the field. We wouldn't understand it. But I've been in events where, you know, the first question that comes from a man, even if it's a female event, or maybe there's a workshop taking place with eight women and one man, and that man, one man dominates the whole conversation. Now imagine a woman working in a field like that. It'll be hard for her to thrive. It will be hard for her to feel valued. It will be hard for her to feel she has a voice. It'll be hard for her to be confident in the skill sets that she can bring. So it's always it's always about creating that room and that space for people to know that not only can they be psychologically safe, then sometimes too we have issues with sexual harassment and things like that, right? And the women are not listened to. And then they get up and leave and then go to the media or go to a journalist and it comes out in public. And you know, it's just making sure that we cater for a more um psychologically safe environment but not just that being aware and being sensitive to the different personality types the different challenges that different genders and people face like a disabled person's challenge will be very different from a woman's challenge or not right or a disabled woman's challenge will be very different but it's being able to be aware of this and this is where hr comes in these are the different you know, um, programs and things, thought, thought leadership programs and things that can be done, activities that can be done to not just learn about these things, but drive towards posturing a more inclusive workplace. You mentioned about building this psychological safety. How can we create this safe environment for women to improve inclusion, to reduce biases? I think it's, it's, it's back to being aware. Like you can never improve anything if you're not aware of what it is you need to improve and how to improve it. So back to the same question of AI, it's just letting a, 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 an ear to these problems, being more involved in um, diversity and inclusion conversations, being more involved or even just hosting events like this. There are lots of listening group events that, that have happened that have taken place and that can take place, right? Learn about the problems these people face. When you learn about the problems, it's easy for you to think about solutions and you can work on those solutions with the same people because the solutions are for them. So you definitely want to build it with them and they'll tell you what sort of things that they expect to have that could help them improve. And then being, being open to trial and error, like you can try out a, a program and it might not work. It might work for only one person out of 10. And if it doesn't work for one person, then you probably want to build another program that will fit the remaining 10 people or it might fit only two people and you can have a list of programs but you know it's very important to also take incorporate feedback so give people the room to say this is working or this is not working and I think even before doing all of this you just have to actually have a heart and a head to actually improve where you are you know have that sensitivity that empathy to help these women or these groups of people, like people who who have um, different sexual orientations, they have struggles too. And, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we hear you and shut them out. Or it's another thing to say, how do we cater to make sure that we actually address the needs, we hear the challenges, and we generate the awareness across the company to be aware of these challenges these people face and make sure that the place is more inclusive for them. Everything you've said there is so, so true. Not being defensive, 
I think as well. So like if somebody does come to you with that constructive feedback on how you can do better, how you can improve, not having the wall up, just embracing it and, and hearing it, being humble and trying to implement it moving forwards because nobody is trying to hurt you. They just want to help you to get better. Yeah. And it's understanding that, yeah. not maybe taking it personal. And I think that that ties into the whole journey of being an ally is knowing that it's a continuous journey. There's always learning. People will probably say things along the way to, to help you, to help you be better. And again, that ties in with self-reflection. Yeah. So really important. On the whole idea of not feeling like you have a voice, what one action can you take today to overcome that fear of speaking up so you can have your voice heard experts say if you have a, a fear or a challenge then that means you should tackle it face up head on and that's the same thing i'll say if you feel you don't have a voice then test your voice test it in a small meeting speak up you can i mean i always say do not say nonsense right if you want to speak make sure it's something tangible it's concrete and you're making sense because if you if you miss out those first two to three um opportunities to speak and you're speaking absolute nonsense no one is going to let you speak again so um for me i always tend to think before i speak and i think a lot especially if it's in a big meeting and if it's something that i feel is not valuable enough I, I don't speak i don't speak at every meeting um whatever i say i feel should be spoken because i feel it's valuable enough um so I think that's that's important. Being confident, but being aware of what you're going to say is actually going to be valued, it's going to be credible, and it's actually important. And then try it out. Test it out. It's just like singers, right? Before singers, they, you know, they sing, and they keep on trying to sing, and then they increase the octaves, and they get better and better and better, and then they become worldwide for the ones that are famous, and the ones that are not famous sing in bars, and the ones that don't sing in bars sing in the showers, like most of us, right? And they're totally off-key. But you just, you just have to test it out. It's just like a baby who's learning to work. They have to walk. You know, mommy and daddy can't carry you all the time. For you to walk, if you want to walk, you have to put your feet on the ground and you have to take those steps forward. So it's the same thing I would say is, you know, you want to, you want to test out your voice. You want your voice to be heard. Make sure it's credible stuff that you're saying, but still test out that voice. You start from a small room. And if it, if you feel like your personality type is someone who wants to always speak to be heard or you have something to say, Start from a small room, start in a larger crowd. You can, there's so many ways to speak. It doesn't have to be vocal speech. You can speak on a blog. You can speak on a LinkedIn post. You can speak in a reel on TikTok or Instagram. There are different ways to express yourself, right? So many different ways. And if nothing exists over there, out there in all the technology platforms, then maybe you can create something too. Um, but just do it. That's, that's basically what it is. Brilliant. Be afraid, but do it anyway. What is the worst that could happen? And I, I love that this has been a reoccurring thing that we've been diving into in this talk. I'm a big advocate of that myself. I'd also love to know, Toji, what's been the best piece of advice that someone's ever given you? Ooh, the problem is I don't really listen to a lot of people's advice. I'm a rebel. <laughs> Um, let's let let me think now. I'm sure there's something someone has told me. Um, usually it's just 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 go for it. Those are the things that resonated with me. Is you know I talk to people about something and like try it out, do it, and if it doesn't work, then we know it didn't work. But just do it, and that's always been my drive is just do it. Um, but I think a lot before I do it. I'm not I'm not an impulsive person. I don't just rush into things. I do. I do try to like weigh the, the pros and cons to like a cost benefit analysis, see if it's worth it because I hate making mistakes, but it's okay to make a mistake because there's always something to learn from it. Um, so one of my major motives is like the Nike logo, just do it. 
Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, hearing all of your gems. Thanks for having me, Ellie. It's been an absolute pleasure as well speaking with you. Thank you for listening to today's episode and we hope you're feeling inspired. If you are, please feel free to like, share, subscribe and join us on our mission to create a diverse, inclusive and equitable universe. This podcast is brought to you by Equal IT, a mission-driven business working to diversify tech teams through refined talent acquisition, complemented by diversity and inclusion consulting. As an Azure Heroes inclusive leader, we aim for teams to cultivate a strong sense of belonging and equity. Find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We welcome your feedback, questions, and would love to hear from you. Join us next time on Equal Inspired.